another world, another time, in the age of wonder. You are listening to Trial by Stone. Trial by Stone! Dea, Tea, Dara, Tea. Your vital essence, the Dark Crystal. Kida, Kida. Come, come, see for yourself. Aru, Garu. How very interesting. Dea, Tea. I feel the song of Thra in my heart. Now go, you heroes of Thra. Thank you so much, Toby Pratt, for coming on the show, Trial by Stone. I'm uh, one of the co-hosts, Jamie Prater, and I'm joined by the founder and the co-host and the owner, Philip Mitchell. Hello, everyone. Yeah, I know. It's just so fantastic being here on the show, especially talking to one of the main you know, creatives like behind the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. Many people know him as sort of the baby from Labyrinth, but of course, we know him as, you know, of course, the son of Brian and Wendy Froud. Um, and he is the design supervisor for the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. So yeah, again, just want to say, Toby, like, thank you so much um, for being on this podcast. Uh, thank you very much for having me. Uh, it's it's brilliant to be on here and to talk to you guys. Before we begin, congratulations on your award. You won. You you can tell me exactly what you won, but it was by the Visual Effects Society, and it was a Visual Effects Award for 2020. So congratulations. But what was the award titled? Because thank- it was very specific. Yes, it was. Um, it was basically it was outstanding special practical effects in a photoreal project. Um, it was amazing, and it was a category that I think they added in this year onwards um, by popular demand. And it was uh, it was an absolute honor to win. Unexpected as well. We you know are up against some amazing projects, and you so you you sort of go in going well. It'd be lovely to win, but it's an honor to be nominated. But yes, when they called Dark Crystal, I was elated and certainly um, flustered when I had to <laughs> accept the award and give a speech. But yes, it's an honor and, and an amazing achievement to everyone involved, the teams that were involved in doing it. Absolutely. Did you have a speech prepared? I wrote something down on a piece of paper. <laughs> I scribbled it and then I put it away in my pocket and forgot about it. And <laughs> and so I brought it out. Couldn't quite read my own scroll writing. So yes, it went as well as it did. <laughs> yes, that's just awesome. I mean, again, the show is of course a masterpiece and it's great to see it not just nominated, but actually pick up an award. It just, yes. whatever, whatever road we're on, hopefully that leads to season two, this will just help it right along. Yes. Fingers crossed. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, the, and it has been nominated for a few awards, and it's it's always an honor to be that. And we hopefully that continues. You know, we're into that season, so. Yeah, because I know at the moment, I think right now, actually, as we're recording, is the Writers uh, Guild Guild Awards, and I think um, Javier was nominated for, I think, writing uh, with his episode of Age of Resistance. So yeah. Yes, I know. So I'm like fingers crossed. Um, you know, as we're recording this, yeah. So it's 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 been pretty cool, at least that um, yeah, that the age of resistance has been getting yeah the reckon the recognition that I think you know you all deserve. Like just just the the show itself and just the amazing work, um, that yourself and everyone um with the show was just um, it it really is like unlike anything any other show that's that's out there. Yeah, it truly it truly feels that way even now. Um, we had no idea. <laughs> If uh, you know, if the world would accept puppets, yeah, because it's 
it's 10 hours of puppets <laughs> and it's amazing 10 so, glorious hours 10 glorious hours I mean, it really <laughs> is but that was always the, almost the thing you know in, in talking to louis and and people were going well <laughs> this either works or it doesn't and and this it really does I, I i truly believe it does and i know i'm so many people do as well it's the idea that you are taken on this journey and you your suspension of you know of disbelief of anything that is puppety maybe just goes out the window you're with every these characters uh, on this epic adventure and uh, i i truly believe that it's real and and the magic is real and i think we achieved that completely uh my first question for you mm. well i think it's we sort of have to say I mean, <laughs> people people know your your mom is Wendy Froud, your dad is Brian Froud. They were involved in the first Dark Crystal film, not just involved, but your dad was the conceptual artist who brought the world to life. Your mom was the puppet fabricator who created the Gelflings and so much more. And that was their intro into the entertainment world. I know you're obviously your dad did books and I don't want to go too much into that because all of that stuff is out there. We've all, a lot of people know that we want to make sure we stick, stick to you. Um, when in your life as a child or when did it occur to you? And maybe, maybe it was just an organic thing where you're like, Hey, what they do, I want to do. Or was it just, I was doing it from the beginning. I was using my hands and making things from the beginning. Um, I think it really was uh, to a degree. I was always, I was always watching things. At least I was always, you know, I grew up in in the house my parents are in, um, you know, my home too. That was, it was always full of creatures, and and, and these amazing objects and you know items and, and strange, wonderful creations that uh, that. That was the normal thing for me. So it was, it was always creative. It was a creative surrounding. Um, and then I, I sat around the kitchen table with my mother and with her, you know, teaching me. And, and, and we would create puppets or sculpt things. And, and it was really, I was always drawn to art. And it was, I was always celebrated. You know, it was, um, and they, my parents have been extremely supportive of me um my whole life in, in doing that but then again i also i was never very good at anything else either <laughs> it's like i couldn't i couldn't do anything academic necessarily uh it just wasn't of interest to me it was always art-based or creative-based and i grew up watching all the all the henson movies and all the creature films from the you know 80s and 90s and on onwards it was I just relished those. It was wonderful to see things come to life on screen. So it was a huge part of my childhood in, in a lot of ways, yeah. Henson has always been a massive one. We were, of course, because we've been connected to them via the films. Um, but they, uh, it was always, you know, watching The Muppet Show growing up. Uh, we had VHS tapes of them. And, uh, and then the storyteller for me was a big one. I loved that. Um, they were beautiful fable pieces. Um, and then uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles came out. And I remember that and loving that. And I was almost I, the only the, the first movie I believe seeing in the in the in the cinema, you know, down in in the countryside of where I, where I grew up. Um, I think that was one of the first films I saw on the big screen. 
um, that I can remember at least. Um, and it was mind blowing. It was just wonderful to see the turtles come to life. And that, again, that's Henson's as well. That was, you know, character. That was, that was truly amazing. I love the idea of puppets interacting with humans and basically it's creatures interacting with humans and that idea um, of coming together. So, you know, Labyrinth did that beautifully. And the only, you know, the, the only thing that stood apart from all of that obviously is Dark Crystal because it is, it, the original film is truly a stunning piece because you, you do enter a world, you do believe it, they do exist. You know, that, that planet exists. Thra is somewhere in the universe and you don't necessarily want to be there. <laughs> if it... So in terms of your career, I know that you worked with Leica. I don't know if, if what that relationship, I don't know if they're working in a movie now. I don't know how that happens in terms of you guys go from show to show. I know that those films take a long time to produce because it's stop motion animation. Um, and again, congratulations on um, Missing Link winning a Golden Globe for Best Animated Film. Fantastic. I, I've been rooting for Leica for a long time. Akubo and the St Two Strings is phenomenal it's phenomenal and i w i was devastated that it didn't get more recognition because i felt like if this is the film that's going to put like on the map well it's that film it's kubo and the two strings and then missing link came out and and then it got won a golden globe so i was like finally because you don't you don't know it's it's one of those mediums where you don't know if it's going to stay or if it's going to go and sometimes if there's a a, a film that's not financially successful sometimes it throws the future so I'm curious how you ended up working with them. I can backtrack a little bit and, and actually go, I, you know, I started out by knowing that I wanted to go into art and I wanted to go and do special effects. It was the feeling of special effects. But I always created dolls and, and creatures and things at scale uh, with my mother. And because uh, it's always a wonderful way to, to show an audience, you know, an idea or, of, a, of a character and then get them to you know, experience a creature in front of them and believe. It just happens to be uh, something that people really love. You know, you can put it on a shelf, you can see it in a gallery, you could see it online in a photograph, and people just enter into the spirit of something like that. So I always, I was doing that a lot. But I went to a place called Wimbledon School of Art in London, and I did a technical arts and special effects course. That's what my degree was in. I learned a lot there as well. I had a lot of fun um, because you can be creative in art school you, and you can go into the university and, and just you have a freedom to be able to try things uh, I think or at least in England you did um, so that was that helped that sort of helped me explore what I did and what I didn't really like in the effects idea of things and puppets always remained very true to something that I loved uh, so that was a good thing that sort of solidified things for me there. And stop motion was never really on the radar. Uh, it was never really something that I thought I would ever be in, but I loved it. I, Nightmare Before Christmas uh, is one of my favorites, truly. And uh, obviously um, Wallace and Gromit from Ardman and all of those and Creature Comforts um, that we have those in England. They were wonderful. So that sort of all of those things were sort of held dearly to me, but never thought I'd be a part of it. Um, and then I came out to Portland, Oregon and uh, fell into a job here briefly uh, with Michael Curry Design. And then I was teaching a workshop, actually, of little rod puppets and a person taking the class said we were having a talk about materials and uh, she said oh you should talk to george 
and I, and I went, okay. And then I thought uh, this would be down the line. And she handed me her phone and went, George is on the phone for you. I had no idea who George was. I thought she kept saying George. I thought George was a man. Um, and uh, and I picked up the phone and I was talking to this this woman. And it was Georgina Haynes, who is uh, was the puppet supervisor of Leica at the time. And so um, we had a lovely chat. And I went in and, and uh, in the end... Uh, had an interview with Leica, um, and it was wonderful because I, you know, I could fabricate, I could build things, and, and create things. And you know, she saw the potential. I did. I wasn't an animation person. I didn't, under, you know, necessarily understand the rules of animation or anything like that or stop motion. So um, I had a steep learning curve, and that was amazing. But it really, I, I felt like I, I'd found somewhere that was. A, a wonderful place to be with a great group of artists. They were truly artists, and it was a, an interesting space to be in. It was like the same idea that I'd always heard about the Hensons and Dark Crystal and, you know, that time of building, you know, where people, artistic people, were together creating for that passion. And that's what I found at Leica with the puppet team there. So, uh, yeah, uh, and Leica is fortunate that they are able to continue film after film. So I joined at the beginning of Paranorman. And then I was with them until, yeah, the middle of Missing Link when I left to do Dark Crystal. So I, I went through all those movies and there were hiatuses. But, yeah, the, the company just kept going, which is unheard of truly amazing actually to for a company to do that so it was i was very fortunate to be a part of that and i went through mold making and fabrication and and all sorts of different departments and then uh, ended up sculpting on box trolls onwards and that's been wonderful so yeah a true journey and experience uh, into a whole other world that i just never realized i would be a part of but i'm grateful to be a part of now Box Trolls is really phenomenal. Uh, I That was my first... I'd known about Paranorman and some other films, but I didn't put Leica together, like, oh, this is the studio right. behind them. And then I saw Box Trolls, and I was so enamored. I love stop motion anyways, but I was like... And I'm, you know, I know Brothers Quay, who I'm sure you're familiar with, um, who just make brilliant pieces of art, dark, gorgeous pieces of ethereal art. So then I was like, oh, this is Leica. And then I'm like, started following. And then I, of course I heard about Kubo coming out and um, it's just brilliant work. I have a technical question for you. Yeah. I know that Leica has moved to 3D printing faces. Mm -hmm. And in light of that, of course, cause you can, you color 3D print things and you know, that's been around for a while now. How did that affect your, I don't know exactly what you were doing for each film, but how did that affect your output or how you worked? Interestingly, the Leica has always tried to do, you know, 3D printed faces. Um, they they started, you know, they really set up that company with Coraline as it, you know, as the company exists today. Um, and they did after that, they did the first 3D printed faces or the printed faces there that they were painting them. Um, and then on Paranorman, color printing came in into play. But we still did some mechanical faces on that. The zombies were all mechanical faces. Um, so it was a mix between the old and the new. And it, so that's what's so what Leica has been doing is slowly, you know, building building their whole company and journey into this 3D printed world. Yet they basically the the ethos is that you can get a a more expressive facial movement. 
um, from a 3D printed character. Basically, yes, it's true. You know, with a with a computer generated face, and then you know, animate it in the computer, and then you can print it back out into real life, and then animate it again. Seems like a very long process, but the the result is beautiful. And uh, so it was an interesting. Yes, the job changed. I'd say for me, I'm a puppet sculptor for many years is basically you know you once once the maquette artist and the designers have done their bit we help translate that into a functioning puppet something that can do all of the movement or most of the movement that they are wanting to do so it's that's the body the hands the feet we would even do facial expressions i remember doing facial expressions for snatcher on box trolls and a lot of other box troll ones and depending on the film, that would either be more or less facial-wise. It depends on what they were doing at that time. But we would always be sculpting bits and pieces for the the process, you know, the puppet, the bodies, and because they have to move in a certain way. But they're all handmade, and that's the beautiful part of it. Is there is a team making these things by hand. And so, and Missing Link was another big jump in technology for for the company as well. So they, they really pushed all sorts of crazy, crazy technological ideas through the process. And, you know, we'll see what sticks for the next one. Uh, I'm curious even to see what, how that one looks. So, yeah. And I guess like, you know, in between like with your work with Leica, um, of course um, you actually uh, did a, a, a short film that you, um, that you directed and, you know, I think you wrote and produced it. Was there sort of like, I guess, experiences that you got out of, you know, from working like uh, that you put forth into, you know, with lessons learned or like how, how that sort of came about, like in the middle of these projects that you went and, um, you know, made, made your own short film with lessons learned? Funnily enough, it was out of not doing other puppets. It was the fact that, you know, I was working, working for Leica doing beautiful stop motion and I missed hand puppets and no one was doing Dark Crystal. No one was doing lab. No one was doing creatures and goblins. You know, creatures and puppets had become special effects um, to enhance uh, creatures or, you know, monsters in films. A lot of CG had come through. or oh, it was blood effects and, and all sorts of gore. So there were no there were no character creatures anymore. Puppets, puppet, real puppets sort of things. I, it was what I felt. You know, I'm, yes, there are all sorts of you know, through the years, but in my mind, I'm I'm sort of sitting there stewing, going, "Well, someone needs to do something," and and then I I just didn't do anything until it happened to be that I you know I had a conversation with Heather Henson at a gallery show in New York that I uh, my parents and I were doing and um, of our dolls and uh, and she and I talked about the handmade puppet dream. Uh, series that she does and that you know asked if I'd be a part of and I said yes and funnily enough just that yes and that conversation allowed my mind and me to be able to go all right well I'm gonna do this so how how do we do this <laughs> it truly did start with the idea of me going okay well if I'm in my garage with a candle and a camera and a little puppet against some sort of weird brick wall what does that look like because that's what i thought i could have you know i could envision to do and then it expanded and and you know i, I wrote the idea of the story and i had just become a father at that point so that was my version of how do you impart knowledge to to a son or to a you know in family you know and and in life um so it was the idea of you know your own little box of memories and, and experiences 
it's all based around that. So I, I did that. And it was amazing, you know, trying to do a Kickstarter and, and push that all up. You know, that was hard work. It was amazing work. And so many people joined and, and cherished and lifted it, you know, and carried it, you know, with me and, and helped build and sweat and blood and tears all went into this amazing piece. You know, it, it, it was my first time directing something like that, you know, with puppets and big, I'd, I'd done a few little, little short films or little pieces, but nothing like that. And it was, it was an honor um, to be able to try and do some, achieve something like that um, with puppets, you know, hopefully just puppets on screen. Um, and I love doing that. Uh, so it, and I learned a lot. It was basically a lot of lessons learned uh, on the film, lessons learned as irony, but it was, uh, but it really, it really was. And I really hope to do more. And that's what, that's what really happened, was sort of stood me in good stead for The Dark Crystal. Because that, that was, you know, something that really uh, stood out, I think, you know, to Cheryl Henson and, and Lisa and, and others, knowing that I had done that. So that I, I understood puppets. I guess in that instance that, yeah, that lessons learned sort of became sort of your calling card, essentially, to work on The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, yeah. And it's such a great film, like, and, and also, I guess, you know, for any of the listeners that are curious, I mean, you, of course, you can watch um, Lessons Learned on Amazon Prime. Um, I think that I think it just currently just came out recently um, on Amazon Prime. So which is which is excellent. So and it's been hard to view in different ways. So it's, I'm really glad that it's out and the others and the others in the collection, because it's really fun. I met some amazing puppet artists through that and and such talent you know of of these you know of people who don't necessarily get big opportunities to do things and puppets you know sort of stay in the shadows a little bit um mm -hmm. from time but it is wonderful that they're out there now so yeah i remember when uh lessons learned released and i don't know who i was talking to some other dark crystal nerd or whatever and i'm thinking i was like oh bleep he might do dark crystal like we just like you just you know <laughs> when you're when you're involved in sort of a fandom that yeah you, you geek out about certain things that most other people don't and power of the dark crystal was still on the radar and oh, yeah. all of that. And so we're like, Toby Froud could do it. Um, <laughs> so it was an, it was exciting to see, even though it wasn't necessarily the dark crystal, those puppets still represent that world in their yeah. own way yeah. because they still come from yeah. sort of that, that legacy. So it was, it was a really exciting time, I think, as a fan of puppetry, as a lifelong fan, not just of the Muppets, but I've always been a fan of more um, photoreal puppets, certainly because of the Dark Crystal and Labyrinth. Um, but yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. And um, I think it was at the right thing at the right time, um, yeah. just to kind of throw photoreal puppets and that whole technique back on the radar. Absolutely. And I remember, uh, I do remember doing, um, oh, was it? I can't remember which one, but I remember doing the shoot for Lessons Learned and we ended the last day of shooting, principal shooting. So we did it in four days, only three days. And it was 4 a.m. when I finally got back home, exhausted, completely exhausted after you know, no sleep for days and days and days. And I had to go to work the next day. I was due at Leica to back on the next project. And I walked in a zombie and George went, you all right? I went, 
I've just finished shooting. <laughs> and thankfully, <laughs> I could take another day off. It was all right. She said, oh, oh go, nice. go rest and sleep. <laughs> we aren't ready yet, so... And because, like, and because with lessons learned, like that was sort of like the first sort of big pro- project that, in a way, that you had. So your your parents with Brian and Wendy sort of involved with the short film. So how was that like? You know, working, I guess, you know, with your family, like with with this um, lessons learned. Yeah. Well, it was really nice because what I what I what I did was I wrote the story and I wrote the idea and I and I designed the first few characters, like the boy and the grandpa and Digby. Uh, and then my mother is is a wonderful writer herself. So she she then took you know I, I asked her to look over the the story and and the, the script basically. And then she she helped with that um, and then uh, sort of guided that in in the sense of you know a nice sense of story there. Um, and also um, I, had, I had help from all sorts of people along the way, but she was the first there. Um, and then later on, it was when I wanted to create the big idea of uh, the fate and time characters. Um, it was, you know, really certainly the fate. I wanted to, you know, ask you know my father if he would help, if he would design something there. So that was the spider. And so he did that and created that piece, which was beautiful. And that was so much fun to work with him on. And that was the first experience of us, I think at that time, the first experience of us working together in that way. Because then, you know, I talked to him about it he designed something, the little sketch, and then I sculpted the head and we'd go back and forth so that I'd send pictures and he'd say, no, maybe, you know, this a little more change here, that sort of feeling. This is what I was meaning when I did this sort of thing. That sort of dialogue back and forth, which stood us in good stead for uh, The Dark Crystal. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially, I think, um, you know, thinking about the, that documentary, The Crystal Calls, he appears in it and he sort of talks about how you know he you know he just starts with a line and whatnot and and just that everything that he draws sort of it it has a reason like it has a purpose and so you know when it comes to sort of trying to you know bring it into 3d you know if you're having other people that try to you know sculpt it and they sort of do their take and sort of ah you know it's um you know these are the reasons that you know, the, like a, like a strand of hair is, you know, in, in this way, or you know, the movement or the flow, or yeah, all that kind of stuff. So that was always the trick for him because it's it his line is so specific, and yet it looks very random. You know, it it, it and even he admits that. But it's what people didn't realize or don't necessarily get to begin with is that it, you have to treat his line like an animation line. You know, that animation line is something that gives you a lot of information in just one curve. You're not having details of anything else surrounding it. It's just that one line that gives you all the information you need. But that's the actual line that you need to follow. You know, it's it's not like this is the nearest guess at it. No, follow that line. And that's something tricky for people. You know, it really is. It's like, well, so you want it kind of like this. No, 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 no. I want it that line to appear in it everything else sure make make up make, make feel free to in you know get, you know be creative around it but make sure you get that line first <laughs> and that was the that's always the trick looking on your imdb of course predominantly we have the dark crystal age of resistance because it's what you've it's it's taken up the most of your career in terms of puppetry but we have a strange film called i am not a serial killer on that and, <laughs> And I was just curious if you could talk about that a little bit and how that came about, because it's 
not necessarily you. I haven't seen the film, but I was like, oh, that's a strange title for it, for Toby Proud to be working on. But I don't really know. I thought maybe you could talk about that a little bit. Absolutely. Um, that was, well, um, I, I was friends with um, the uh, the director, Billy O'Brien, on that. Um, we'd been friends for uh, many years. And um, he and another dear friend, William Todd Jones, they were sort of talking about the the film that he was doing, which was um, Iron Ask, I'm Not a Serial Killer. And uh, he, they, there is a creature in it. Basically, there is there is a monster um, at the end. So it's, it's, but it it was always a really fascinating idea of a monster, um, very godlike in in the description. It was this this ancient god, you know, in, trapped inside of a or not trapped, but inside of a human body. And so they Billy talked to me about designing and uh, building the the creature for it. And so. Um, it's what I did. It was wonderful to be able to, you know, actually, you know, go through the design process. We and Billy had ideas of what he wanted. It was written the book. It was based on a book by Dan Wells. It's a book series. They're actually a great book series, I think. And it is. It's. It's. It's a very much. A, I don't know how to describe it. Like a psychological thriller book series, and add in monsters, you know, and and with a monster at twist endings or you know along the way. Um, so basically, uh, built a, we built a three quarter size puppet, I think, or maybe, no, sorry, half size puppet in the end. We went through a lot of different ideas and versions of how to do this, but we shot the creature after the film had been shot, uh, on green screen. Um, and then comp, uh, it in at the end. Uh, we did a few, um, sort of, uh, I built it here in Portland with a team, uh, that had, uh, helped create the lessons learned characters and so we went to work on that uh yeah and then uh, we actually filmed that in england uh as well and they shot the most of the movie with uh in minnesota i believe and we sent a few claw bits and different sort of um different pieces to send out to set to help uh todd and the rest of the team do some practical bits uh, live but uh, for the main part yeah they were built built a puppet Again, and that that's a nasty puppet too. I mean, it's not. <laughs> it's awesome. The, it, the design of it is fantastic. We went through a lot of different things, and it changed. That was the fun. It was a good experience for me, and in, in knowing how to sort of really sort of figure out, you know, when it's a nebulous idea of what a creature might be when it appears, you know, to to sort of figure out how to make it sort of physical. Um, and going from maybe an ancient god and into more of this, it was it, it became this sort of broken, um, old being that just couldn't survive outside of the body that he had inhabited. And it was almost because the it was the way the film had been shot and the way that they had you know Billy had guided this you know the arc. There was a huge sadness about uh, you know the the reveal in 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 a way. So that changed um, <clears throat> the the way the creature ended up, and it was really good. It was a really, um, a really wonderful, uh, a wonderful process to go through. But yeah, yeah, yeah it's again, it's I, I will watch the film, but it, I, I just love the design. I love seeing something that doesn't look like 
a version of a design that you'd seen. And oh. you you see a lot of similar designs. It reminds me a little bit of, uh, I don't know if you've seen the film Under the Skin, right oh, yes. at the end. Yeah, it reminds me of her a little yeah. bit. Um, it's just They just have that feel, that sort of otherworldly, almost divinely horrible yeah. feel to them. It's very yeah. interesting. Oh, it was really... That was that's what really drew drew me to it, and I've always loved horror films. But I, you know, and I used to love the gory horror films, and now I really like psychological horror films more. Yeah, um, me too. I've gotten older, but it was it, <laughs> I, if I get a chance to do a horror film or a creature or something for that, it's great. That's that's mm-hmm. like every kid's dream almost if you're in this effects industry. I think. So Phil, I was thinking maybe we could move on to um, <laughs> sort of the beginnings of Age of Resistance. But my first question is before we get into that. Where were you in the scheme of Power of the Dark Crystal? That movie had been talked about for 11 or 12 years. Your parents, or certainly your father, was involved. Mm-hmm. Did you? Were you going to be involved in that? Probably if it happened. I know the Spirit Brothers were involved, and they're talking about. And I had seen some puppets from a, a, a from a, a, an old an old reel or a sizzle reel that they showed in San Diego Comic Con years ago, where it showed the Kira pup, puppet talking. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was curious. Where were you sort of rotating around that? Um, I wasn't a part of that, actually. And I don't think I would have been. Uh, The the funny thing about the whole timing of this is that this was the right time for for me to be involved, the right age, the right amount of experience, potentially, you know, to be able to begin and, and to get into this. Before that, I, you know... Yes, I could create things, but um, I was still learning. You know, I wasn't standing necessarily on my own yet um, as much as I am now. So that was, I always knew about the power of the Dark Crystal and the designs and the things that uh, my parents were involved with and doing for that. And it was really exciting. And yeah, I may have gotten a job on that, you know, if it had happened, you know, tried to get a job on that, um, (laughs) uh, which would have been amazing. But it would have been, a. I think it would have been a very different aspect and and actually the you know at the beginning of the this one it was you know a very different or nebulous idea of what i was going to do on this as well so that it was um i came into the i you know in the project you know knowing a certain thing of like well i'm going to help um my father's designs be realized in three dimensions you know that's I've done some maquette sculpting for you know the the animation industry like um for Leica and different things so I, I can realize characters in three dimensions from a 2D design. Um, and uh, I can do that to my father's work, like my mother can, uh, quite well. Because we get the idea, and obviously because we're Froudian, frouds as it were, we just have that idea of what they're meant to be in, in terms of um, energy, in terms of life inside of them, and, and the, sort of the sparkle in the eye of what they, what they represent. Totally. And, and speaking of Froudy, and as interesting as you're talking, I that show you're talking about in New York, I'd seen photos from. And I think your mom had a recreation of Kira there, right? Yes, she did. Um, yeah. Which was just, I remember seeing that for the first time. I'm like, where, where is this? How do I just because the only Kira that you can see from the film is the old one who's been restored and she doesn't look like herself. Um, but the one that she recreated was amazing. But seeing your work there and realizing there's no mistaking who's who, like in terms of yeah. these are from the, the frouds yep. and these are from other people. Not to say that the work isn't as from other people is amazing, but you guys certainly have that energy to all of your work that is unmistakable, of course, as we can see in the original film and then, of course, in the Age of Resistance. But 
And yeah, we, it was just, it's beautiful work. And we all have the same, well, we have similar styles, but they are different as well. It's, you know, to, to some degree, that's the nice thing is that people can almost tell us apart if you're looking at all our work together. And, and that sort of, that stands very, very nicely, I think. Yours is darker, though, for sure. Yes. Your work. It's I've a little always, bit more yes. darker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love dark things. I've always loved the darker side of stuff. But it, it's never, it's always a darkness that's, you know, intimidating and strange. Never something that's just going to outright kill you. <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah, it's a darkness that makes you think. Yes. You know, or that says sort of, come here, I have something to tell you. Yes. I mean, you're like, are you sure? You know, totally. Huh? <laughs> yeah so i guess like i mean that's the thing I, I would love to know is you know of course you know the power of the dark crystal was sort of an on and off thing and then eventually it sort of didn't happen on, on you know unfortunately and of course you know a couple of years later about with with dark crystal trying to come back you know as a prequel i know it went through many um different forms you know through animation and then eventually of course uh with, with netflix you know let, let's do it all puppets you know 10 episodes and whatnot and so i guess you know i'd love to know like how did you get to be you know a part you know with dark crystal age of resistance like how did that sort of um all happen for you yeah that came i mean that really came from well we were we were very surprised that anything was going to happen and we didn't it, you know obviously when you go through years and certainly you know my father had gone through years of you know doing bits of designs and then it just doesn't work you know it's the industry it is the way it is and you sort of so, you know, when, when we heard that Netflix want to do the series, and we sort of went, well, that's, that's good. That's nice. Um, great. And that was all we did until, and then my father called me. I remember having a conversation with him because he said, well, I'm not going to fly to L.A. Because um, he, he couldn't. He didn't. He felt he couldn't. Um, at the time uh, for health reasons. And then, um, but I would love you to be basically my eyes and ears and and also to be able to um, interpret my work, you know, and, and, and sort of help help guide that in the beginning. I said, yes, of course, I would love to. That would, that would be amazing. And so let's see what happens. So then I, I had a conversation with uh, Pete Brook, who was the head of the Creature Shop. And these were all tentative, you know, conversations. And until uh, just brief ones, and then the green light happened. Like it was just one of those phone calls. It was like they just said yes. They, they greenlit it, and we what? Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> such a surreal moment. I mean, yeah, for, for that to happen. I mean, especially sure? I know, especially like with, with Jamie and I. Like, yeah, when we heard about you know Netflix, you know that it was going to happen. It was announced in what May 2017, and we were just both stunned, and a lot of other fans were as well like it was just such just an incredible feeling yeah yeah <laughs> we, we didn't know what to do but it was you know, and then so i had the I had, I had the real conversations then you know like well what what are we gonna do what how is this gonna work <laughs> and then panic ones but i said yes and and uh, it was amazing because then i i started oh wow i gave my two-week notice at Leica, who you know wished me well they understood completely <laughs> walked in and went well i'm gonna leave um and, and work on dark crystal um and then two weeks later i was i was starting maquette work on um on age of resistance uh what i started up here and then went to la i traveled back and forth for a bit and then ended up moving down for the six months uh yeah it was a six seven month build or something um 
before we shipped out uh, in LA at the Creature Shop with Pete Brook. And that was, I mean, it was amazing. But it was, you know, we started with um, the Gelflings. We started out because we knew that there were seven clans. That, so a lot of information started very quickly. It was it was hitting the ground running. You know, the writers had been, they, they'd, they'd been doing the writing. Uh, yeah, they've been developing it. I mean, I know they had those great conjunction meetings. And of course, I mean, with, with Joe's books as well, that he sort of, you know, started establishing what the different clans are a bit. So, so I guess that was a bit of a starting point, you know, for, well, these are what the seven clans are and these are what they're like. And you sort of did your own sort of, I guess your own take as well to, you know, like visually what they would uh, look like. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, that was, you know, it was me catching up to it because I mean, I, I have certainly you know, kept track of it. And, you know, Henson's would show us things from the website. Oh, you know, the idea of the, my mother did a lot of help in, in judging the competitions as well with the Henson too. But I wasn't, I wasn't really involved in that. I, I was, you know, I'm in Portland, Oregon and doing things with Leica. So I just, I was out of the loop, but I was watching it on the sidelines. So then I had to catch up quickly when it all really kicked in. I was like, oh, right. Okay. I've got to, I catch up about the the law of certain things or and make sure that I, I was trying to stay as true because I knew one thing was that I was a huge fan of the film <laughs> myself. And so I I remember in the first week of getting the yes to all this, watching that movie six times and every time groaning at the fact that how many things were on screen at once, how many things were moving, how much detail was in each and every inch of that screen. And I kept cursing my father and Jim for, <laughs> how are we going to do this? <laughs> like, you had five years, you know, of development and also shooting wise. And how are we going to do it in, you know, such a short amount of time, you know, and technically it was. But it was also exciting. I guess it was it was that wonderful. It was a wonderful fear of, okay, now the world's going to start watching, <laughs> as as we try and bring something that's thirty seven years you know in the past to visual life again. Because yes, you know Joe Lee had done a, a beautiful job with um, with other lore, and and there had been canon that had gone on and actually uh, you know done all sorts of things with the books and you know audiences are hit and miss of going well this is either what they like or they don't like they'll take this they won't take this bit how do we present something that everyone's going to hold and, and like um, and and i truly believe that i'm glad that a series happened and not a sequel film up front the idea of because i don't know if people would have accepted and you know a two-hour sequel or you know prequel movie um out of the blue uh, as well as they have a series because you get more time to to expand you get you get to be able to give people that that adventure and and you get them into the world again uh, and bring them with you you know you you can you it can take an episode or two but you can you can capture them i think that's good i'm curious uh again sort of technical question there are so many puppets in the show how did you guys build that many puppets in seven months how did you i mean like how what was what was the size of the crew and you're not just building puppets and fabricating you know but there's the internals and i know you you were in, involved in more of the 
how do I say it? I mean, you say it better, but I know you weren't doing like the animatronics, but you were still all there for all of it. Well, how did you guys do that much work in that little time? Um, I'm not sure, but we did. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was impressive. It, it really was impressive. I mean, they, they gathered together an amazing team. Now, there were two teams involved, technically, but we, we know the L.A. shop, Pete Brook, headed by Pete, um, basically they, they took the creature shop and they hired amazing groups of people, um, and they were to the gills. They they ended up we ended up renting a satellite space to to just house the costume department and and wigs as as well, and sort of yeah costume fabrication. So that was satellited just down the road from the creature shop, because there was just no room. You know, we we needed more space. It was such a big undertaking, um, and we you know we took it. We did as logically as possible we got you know we get the general idea of the clans down then we concentrate on the heroes you know our hero i guess eight and also then the hero eight skexes that were involved up front started there and we you just crank through the you started with the sculpt you know as we're doing fabric tests of things and then the animatronic guys would you know, the mold makers are amazing. They tore through making those molds and with foam runs. It's all technical processes, but just done one on top of the other and, you know, multiple characters at a time. So, you know, you sort of had Team Skexis, you had Team Gelfling, you had uh, all sorts of different things. And then eventually we had two mystics involved. So it was like you know, we knew we knew up front we were going, OK, we're dealing with Skexis. We're dealing with certain, you know, with a lot of Gelfling and a couple other main character creatures, you know, like, or mystics and different things. And that was our goal uh, in the first, whatever it was, six months, you know, as well as getting an overarching story, script, episodes, build up, testing, um, making sure everything was, you know, was gonna work as best we possibly could before we ship it all into London, uh, where um, John Nolan headed up the, basically the Henson Creature Shop 2 uh, in England, which was basically the on-site maintenance, but also creature build site. So they started, and I know he started out with the Landstrider and the Spitter. So I, um, we did, the Landstrider obviously, you know, they did a beautiful, I think Dinek did a beautiful um, CG model version of that. And then John and his team made the practical version from there. I, I did, you know, Brian and myself, you know, he did designs, I did, and then I did maquettes of the spitter, and we then sent, I think we sent the maquette over, actually, and they, you know, they scanned and sculpted from that. So it was international, because John's team, as the, as the, Gavin, the production designer, and, and the space was being set up, you know, months in advance, they started as well. You know, John started his shop, and so in, little by little. So the machine's cranking from two sides of the world <laughs> uh, until we all met. It was a lot of work. It really was. But we, we tried to, and we also were very practical. Um, Gelfling-wise, we, uh, I think you commission about 18, 16 or 18 heads of Gelfling, not including the heroes um, or or something like that and then we were going to you know with hair and wigs paint uh costume change around and make crowds and we did that as much as possible and we just had to balance and that's what we had an amazing production team um an organizing team of 
what can we do now? What can we do then? And, and what block of shootings? So we had three blocks of shooting um, to do this in, and that was based on you know the sets that were being built and based on the uh, of what was built to be able to be shot on, you know, uh, uh, puppet wise as well as you know castle uh, corridors and different things like that. So it was very well thought out, um, I think, in terms of in terms of us being able to achieve this. Um, so it, we just didn't stop. You know, we, as we started shooting, we were building as well. That was the only way to do it, but it was, there was a lot to be done in those times. And then things always come up in an episode when, you know, when we're shooting or we're prepping for the next few weeks or the next blocks, we're going, well, but the puppets need to do this or they need to, you know, now they're going to be thrown and now they're going to have injury and now they're going to have, you know, then we're going to have one explode and then we're going to do So how do we do all this? You know, and that was, that's why they just seemed to be able to, um, you know, they gathered the team that could pull this off and we all worked so well together, I feel, you know, in, in the grand scheme of things. It was truly amazing. It's crazy impossible what you guys well, that's, did. That's I just looking at it it was a few, yeah i mean best possible way <laughs> like i just like there's the in the crystal calls documentary there's the shot of stone in the wood and just how massive that set is one of 88 or however many sets there were and just the not just okay yeah there's a lot of sets but then that one set piece for where are they with uh the wanderer and um the conqueror what set is that again that's the the wanderer and the oh oh the um the the yes yeah <laughs> wow <laughs> i was just watching that today is me too i was too valley of the stones like it's not just that you guys are building the sets the level of detail in that set is bleeping mind-blowing yeah. i mean it is like i but you got the the idea that you're making all of this all of these sets and puppets and you're incorporating is the same amount of details we've seen in the original film it's it's insanity it's insanity oh, what you guys pulled off and, we, and they had to build everything i mean that's the really th funny thing they, they they could hire in very little prop wise or you know piece wise because you always had to change it a little bit because it was never quite an, of the world of thra otherwise and that was a challenge for the you know for the prop department i think but they did they rose to it gallantly um they uh it was it, yeah it was it was just pure magic i think they everyone everyone was on their game and and it really showed i mean they people people were having so much fun doing it uh, you know it was stressful there were a lot of tears lots of you know it's a lot of headaches but we all knew the reason why we were doing it. You know, there was there was always that, yeah, but this is really cool and it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. There was always those quiet moments when you're just in awe of what you're seeing. Um, and those sets, I, I, I wish everyone in the world could have walked through them mm -hmm. because they are beautiful. Yeah, it's one of those glorious things that you just don't realize until you are on, on one of them. A friend of mine, um, Peter Tittle, who worked in the prop department, yes. he told me, of course, after the show was out, he was like, you know, I'd always wanted to work on The Dark Crystal. Of course, I was too young. He said, then I got the opportunity to work on Age of Resistance. He said, I walked into the crystal chamber, he said, and I cried. Yep. He said, that's how perfect it was. Yeah. And it, just to hear that as, of course, a super uber fan myself is a, a really, really wonderful thing. 
Oh, we all, uh, I, I safely say we all cried lots <laughs> um, at different times, especially seeing something like the Crystal Chamber. Because, and it's, yeah, it's amazing when the lights go on and, and the smokes smokes up and, and there are Skeksis walking around. It's, yeah, it's, it's truly. Yeah. Yeah, just just something, you, yeah, seeing from the film, I just never imagined that, oh, we're going to be revisiting the same spot, you know, the, the same, yeah, with the Crystal Chamber and all these many lo locations, you know, all different sets, you know, uh, to replicate what was done in the original film and just went one up and beyond. And um, I guess, like, you know, with, with Age of Resistance, like, when you, uh, with the design supervising, like, what was sort of um, the most, was there any that was sort of, on, on top of your head like sort of the most challenging aspect you know whether it's uh with with the characters whether it's skexies or galfling that took some time to to sort of crack the code you know that made it work or um i think i just think for a lot of a, a lot of the design uh, overarching of the characters you know, t at least in the beginning of just getting the feeling of them down because you know they are so specific especially when we're having to recreate someone like the chamberlain um, uh, someone who's iconic, uh, it was tricky because one, you know, using, and I know this has been said before, is like using 4k cameras, you, you can't hide anything. The detail, they have to be a part of it. And, and it was, so it was, it was challenging there just to make sure that it felt right for modern audiences, uh, but also modern technology. But it was the idea of getting trying to explain what the what the feeling of the characters or the costumes especially because they are costumes are a huge part of each puppet you know they they they're covered in them so that's the that's the whole you know part of what they do because they have to be functional for puppeteers but they have to you know they have to feel real and certainly of this Thra world and Thraudian nature. Uh, so it was getting that. And it took about, I think it would really, I'd say it took about a good month for for the creators, for the costumers, um, for the people and creating these things and getting involved um, but to sort of get the idea and, and the line, the quality of what we're asking. Because it wasn't, because a lot of these, they're amazing people had done Marvel movies for so long. You know, they'd been doing superhero costumes and their clean lines, very precise, beautiful things like that. And we were telling them to ignore that, get creative, get get rough, or, or find how many fabrics can you put together to create something that you don't believe is a fabric, you know, and, and it's something else. I'm always asking for it to look like something else, feel like something else. So you don't quite know what you're looking at. Um, when you're seeing it, because because we're dealing with a high fantasy other world, you know, leather isn't necessarily quite leather. It is something else or a metal isn't necessarily just steel. It is something else. That's sort of idea behind behind it. So as long as you get that general overview across uh, across the project, um, that was those are the that's the biggest challenge, I think. But people fell in to it really well. I mean, the artistry stands for itself. Those costumes and puppets and characters and final, what what you see on screen is beautiful. And that took a whole team to do it. And so it was also, I mean, the, the challenge of, you know, what um, what characters like lore and, and how that should be. And that we'd spent a long time going through different designs and what he's actually doing. Who he, what is he doing? 
how is he doing it and how does he function you know is it more mechanical is it ma magical is it something else and so the end result is beautiful and the true you know process of design and function as well as um you know magic because I, I think he's so successful <laughs> Oh, absolutely yeah i mean he he was such one like with the show he was like one of the most sort of unique characters and yeah i mean i loved hearing you know the story i think that was in the documentary that originally yeah i mean it could have potentially been like a full cgi character but i like that you guys sort of you know you push and say well let's see if we can actually do it as as a puppet and came up with sort of that that banruku you know that style of puppetry you know removing the puppeteer you know out and, and whatnot to really bring um, law to life and i think yeah that that's just like yeah like he was su such an incredible um character with the show i will say it was really interesting because we got to see a few of the original pieces i know they have the chamberlain at the henson shop and everything and looking at those pieces of fabric some of them even i were all going how did they do that how was that <laughs> figure it out sort of it was archaeology to a degree and that was really lovely and, you know, uh, Phil and I saw Skekect, the original puppet that's, of course, in the Henson yeah. um, offices. And again, when we're standing up close to something we've only seen in our favorite film of all time, it, you're looking at it like, how are you possible? You know, it's, it's I, amazing. And that's segueing into um, when imagery was first coming out of the characters and then the trailer. Yeah. Of course, whether what are the hardcore nerds doing? Because we are part of a group called uh, <laughs> Nerds of the Crystal, um, and we were like, we're we're going over each, and um, I think uh, the Scroll Keeper. We're like, no, that's it. They got him. That's it. That's the Scroll Keeper. There's no doubt in our minds. And then, like, of course, Chamberlain's the big one. Yeah. And I remember that one first trailer shot of him where the beams hit him, his face from yeah. the crystal, and he opens his mouth. And I'm like, holy bleep that's the chamberlain that's him there's no doubt in my mind this is the same character from the original film and i think the surprise is is oftentimes and you know this people who are other filmmakers or there's other times in you know um in entertainment history where they go back and they do a sequel or they do a prequel and you're like okay yeah they tried to recreate that it sort of looks like yeah. what it used to it, it but it isn't but i could see you know it doesn't really look like it but it is whereas for the hardcore fans we know what the crystal chamber looks like crystal chamber looks like inch by inch yeah. we just we know it like the back of our hands and you know there's a balance of you're not gonna be able to please everybody and you're gonna have to push to do something new while also trying to honor a legacy as you very well know but to see image after image coming from age of resistance and you're like holy bleep holy yep. bleep they did it they did it and i will never i will never forget uh, to be returned to to be returned into a world that is the same world that you left even it's a little bit newer just because the world is more alive that yeah at that point it was just a really magical thing. So kudos to you guys for really, I mean, I, with the frauds involved, you you have to do it that way, you know? And I, I even, I think Louis had, had said something about the Skeksis costumes. He's like, no, you have to age it more. You have to age it more. And I was like, yes, you do. Because it doesn't matter if it's 50 or 75 years before those guys have been in those costumes for a long time. A lot of, we had a lot of discussions about that actually. And that's a, it's a good point to, to bring up because one, yes, we were all very nervous 
of presenting these characters again to to an audience because you want them to be right. You want everyone to love them. But well, if we get something wrong, that's on us. Um, you know that we that wasn't intentional or anything like that. So that it was it's it's a hard thing to have in your mind, but. We did spend a long time saying, you know, yes, we have to age them down. They have to look right. And they're also meant to be younger. They're meant to be more, a little more powerful. They're meant to have, it is a, it's a younger time within this timeline. It's very difficult to quite figure out when, but it's, you've got that, um, the energy, you know, younger energy, more formidable. Um, and so we, we tried to do that as much as possible with the coloring, you know, we, you, you punch certain color, you know, but you then make sure it's still aged down. So you've, you've got, and we chose very similar fabrics and some that were, you know, a little shinier or we, you know, so I'd, I'd add in, um, I'd add in sequined or like, you know, like sparkly material on top of the major panels of fabric instead of uh, originally cheesecloth and, and grimy things because it is a different time. So you've got that, you've got that little bit of elegance that hasn't been lost yet because you're, you now, when you go through the series, you see what they go through, you know, it, the ending battle, they're covered in dirt. And you know, that that's a really good thing. It's sort of, it, they, they are aging as well as everything else in the world. So, you know, if, if it continues along, you will, you get to see that progression. Um, but that's what, that's how we tried to, you know, marry the movie and the series together when it comes to costumery and the puppets themselves. So it sort of makes, hopefully makes sense. Um, if it's not, you know, if it's not very apparent, it's in the back of your mind that it sits in the right place. Was there ever a costume that you had a big challenge with? You were like, how do we do this one? I mean, I know your, your mother was there for, but she wasn't in every... I mean, maybe she was. I mean, I have all the books. I've read it. But was there a point where you're like, how do we recreate this one? What did they do? <laughs> Every everyone. Uh, no, <laughs> uh, no, I mean, a challenge. Uh, mystics are challenging, certainly, um, because it, it really is a guy on his, ha his haunches down as low. And, and when you watch the film, it's so compact. You know, they they really, they, they got it down beautifully. So how do you get puppeteers around and those arms moving and all of that and hide whatever you need to hide? That, that was challenging because there's only so much reference. And there's anyway, only so many people you can talk to um, before you have to make an educated guess. As a team, you know, and so they came up. The team came up with some great ideas for that sort of thing. Um, the another challenge was the hunter, uh, because he's a different beast. You know, he is he is a skexy certainly, but he's a, a guy in a suit. You know, in, in terms, and that was challenging because he had to move more than the others, because he's in the legs and he, you see the whole thing. You can put him anywhere. He's not. You know, he's not just he's not a puppet and a walk around. He is the whole thing at all times. But yet he's still a puppeteered head. He's still all those, you know, and he's but he's got his forearms that actually work. You know, there are so many elements. And, and Louis from the beginning was talking, you know, with the writers, but wanting him to run and leap through the trees, you know, and that does happen. You know, he get he got that moment, but it was. That was the beginning sort of idea of this hunter character um, visually. So how do we do that? You know, how do you 
one, create a costume that does that? And how do we make him not necessarily feel like a Skeksis to begin with, but reveal himself to be that later on or, you know, during his journey? And that was, there were a lot of discussions along that, those lines of reveals and, and what to either keep, you know, to, to make him really not feel like a Skeksis or to make him, you know, feel more part of, of, the other, of that race. That was a challenge. He was so monstrous as well. Like you don't, you're not really sure what you're seeing at first. Yeah. And then he's sort of like, it's almost like there's this pullback of the curtains, and you're like, oh, this is the worst Gexies possible. Yeah. And it was, he was really fun to deal with. And also, uh, I think, I think for us, it was great to be able to to string him up like a marionette. Um, in when he's in the throne room in his red armor, uh, always you know, yeah, it was that was a lot of fun to do. Yeah, no, I remember. I think um, I think I might have brought that up with you, Jamie. I think we were in episode ten with the after shows, and that was one of the things. Like, I think it was probably watching it because I mean, watching the show for the first time, you know, I was just immediately you know just just done with everything, and then being able to take things in, you know, second, third, fourth viewings, and then I think when we recorded, yeah. I with Jamie, I was just like, oh yeah, it's, it's basically like a mar yeah, the marionette puppet. So I thought that was like, I, I, I thought that was like a really neat, like a nice little Easter egg sort of, I don't know, like a reference sort of in that regard. So yeah. And it makes it easier for the puppeteers. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. It's kind of, you know, killing two birds with one stone. It's brilliant. It's a brilliant idea. I mean, it, again, to have this puppet strung up. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's one of my favorite sequences in the film for sure. Or as the show, is in production. There's of course many photos of you on the set painting Rianne or not painting, maybe adding makeup to Rianne and to Mira. What was your role? Did your role transition? Like how, what were you doing during production? I was, I mean, I was still, I was design, uh, design supervisor through the whole thing, but I also, I don't know what you call it. Last looks all wrangling and last looks uh, for, you know, the creatures of how they felt on screen before they went out. You know, with a team of other people, there was, but I was always on set if I needed to be, or in the shop making sure that things were built with John. Um, so it was a balance of everything. I was I was everywhere, <laughs> um, but um, yeah, we it was uh, there was a whole in the end there was a lot of wranglers, but there was there's a core group of wranglers that were amazing that could basically take safety pins, wire, and duct tape and make anything happen in 20 minutes or less for the most part um for for these puppets to be able to do anything because it is it's a lot of work to make a puppet do anything uh move uh, and and function so um they they were they were working non-stop for that and so yeah i was i was more of the look especially as we just kept rolling these characters out you know first time and, and such and then also repairing, like, yeah, Rianne's uh, eyes would keep going. Uh, there's all sorts of little technical things. Uh, he was a really difficult character, but he was also playing a lot more than a lot of the others, I think, as well. He's in more scenes. So it was, it's a challenge. It's a challenge to keep these puppets moving. Did you just say he's in more scenes, like he's with a different wig, the no, character no. of Rianne? No, Rianne is in more scenes than, than a lot of other Gelflings. Oh, I see what you mean. I'm thinking, oh, wow, they reused him for another scene. Okay. okay. No, no, no. Okay, I wouldn't think you guys would have done no, that. We, but, uh... We've used a lot of others, um, none of the heroes. Uh, we tried not to, at least, um, for the heroes. But I ended up, you know, I ended up sculpting and we created a couple more Gelfling while, while in England as well. Just because of the ending scenes coming up, we needed more. You know, we'd, we'd sort of used 
all the different variations we could along the way. So then we had to make some more. And that's that's all you know, it was all part of a you know, the process. It's it's a tricky one to figure out what we can really utilize to make you believe it. Um uh, but it really, you know, yes, there are photographs of me everywhere doing different things. It wasn't just me. There are so many other people. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That doing room. Amazing things. There's that one photo of a few where you're in, I don't know if it's the costume department, but you're, there's a fitting which looks like a, either a prototype or a, a, a non aged version of Brea's um, costume. Yeah. So it looks like you were there for that. I'm like, and I remember looking yeah. at those photos like, Okay, you're in every step of the way for these puppets. I, I really was from beginning to end. I was there every step of the way. I was on set every day. Um, I was in the workshops every day. I packed the box. That, you know, I helped pack the crates in LA and I unpacked them the other end. You know, it was a continuation. And but that's that was the fluidity of what my role was in in a way. And I came on as one thing, and it was just it became valuable. You know, to have me along the way because I was a consistency from one side of the world to another through the production with everyone, you know, that was purely looking at the aesthetics of it as much as I could and as much as I could keep track of everything, that then the teams could just work and, and make sure that, you know, everything was the best it possibly could. I mean, hands down, uh, amazing work was created. So, yeah. We, we asked uh, quite a few fans from the Crystal Shard, a uh, Facebook group, uh, for some questions that they wanted to ask. And I think one of the ones that, um, I mean, even myself, I was um, particularly interested as well. Um, James Reedy, he asked about, especially with the, the characters of the Grunax. And I think, and I know he asked, like, was there originally through three Grunax in Age Resistance? And if that was the case, then, you know, what happened to the third one? Because I know in, in the end that there was only two of them that uh, appeared in the show. And I think there might have been three originally when... Um, yeah, I, I mean, I know I did three maquettes for them, and they were fun because, you know, the Grunax, uh, they were prototypes in the original movie. They didn't use it. You know, it was sort of a lost thing, and they might have appeared in the in the comics. Or, but it was, you know, it was starting from scratch. I went back to um, some scribbles of my father's um, in, the, in the archives of the Dark Crystal stuff, actually. I'm not even sure in the books or not but it was um it just part of the archives we had and they were just sort of little sketches in the corner so then i created those maquettes from them um to create the miners the grunax basically is what you know they are now and yeah i did three of them in maquette form and then i think the writers only needed two in the end i'm not sure how it came about i might have been overzealous with three of them i loved those maquettes they were much fun to, to to sort of you know, envision. Um, it, yeah, so I had a lot of fun with those. And then we did the big ones, and then we just, you know, sculpted the big heads. So I know there was a, another question, um, I think, from Tobias Rowe, and um, he, he actually wanted to know, um, did you ever consider, like, a career other than, than art? And if so, like, was there, like, any other interests, you know, that influenced um, his work? Um, I would say, well, maybe when I was a lot younger, you know, in college or something acting but it was but not really i hadn't i done high school stuff um so i i'm glad i chose art and there really wasn't anything else in my in my life that i that i wanted to do um 
that my interests my interests weren't in anywhere else it just it was always trying to create something and it didn't matter uh, in in what form necessarily at times you know it was always whatever whatever i could do to create something uh yeah here's a question are you a puppeteer at all of course you make puppets <laughs> Uh, yeah, I would say I kind of, I would never call myself a puppeteer compared to everyone else that mm-hmm. <laughs> does it. I, I like the idea of puppeteering. I love, I love playing around with the puppets I create or, or puppeteering for kids or anything, but the amazing amount of strain and stress that the puppeteers had to go through on Dark Crystal, I, I'm certainly not one of those. I would love to try someday maybe, but I would have to train very hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My last question would be, and I'll give it to Phil afterwards, is what are you up to now? <laughs> um, I'm actually, well, what I can say is I'm I'm back in stop motion. Um, I, I'm working on uh, Pinocchio for the Guillermo del Toro, which was also a Netflix film. So we're, we're working on that at the moment, which is wonderful. So it's, it's lovely to be back in stop motion again um, and and creating creating for, for him. Yeah. That's what I'm well, that's, that's great. That's awesome. You know, we're working on the show with, with Adrian Assistance for over a year. And then, you know, fr- from going from that to finally, you know, seeing the episodes, you know, in their final completion, um, what was sort of, you know, your, your react or, you know, how did you feel about it? Like, you know, just seeing what yourself, you know, you contribute, contributed and what, you know, just the amazing world that you all brought in towards the project. Like what was sort of, um, yeah, your thoughts, like, you know, once, once it all got completed and relieved that it probably relieved that it's over, but just from that to seeing, you know, all the 10 episodes, um, when they first uh, came out and I guess, you know, whether you've had, you know, met, you know, seeing, um, like from fans, like all, you know, from fan art or like any, just the inspirations that, you know, people have been, uh, chatted to you. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, <sighs> It, it truly, it truly was and is emotional. Um, uh, I think that was the interesting part about it is that I, after we wrapped on that, you know, and then sort of disbanded for the most part, Louis and, you know, producers and writers, they were all still working. You know, they were, they were hard at work editing and doing all that. But we, we sort of disbanded. I came back to Portland and I was, my, I was tired. <laughs> I was just mentally gone. Um, but it was, I was so proud of something that I think we had done at that time. I had no idea, you know, it was, you sort of came back, came back into the, what is called real world and go, I have no idea if that just happened. Actually, this is, yeah. <laughs> it just felt like a dream. Yeah. 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 Um, so then for a while you sort of, and you know, we were seeing shots and seeing different things and, but I, I tried to, um, uh, as soon as I didn't need to do anything else, I stayed, um, I didn't see much of it. I didn't choose. I chose not to look at things um, until until the end when I saw the trailer come out and and started seeing those things and ah the the tears came back. It was it was amazing because um, seeing rough cuts it was beautiful um, and then with the with the final touches elements uh, you know the the sound uh, the voices oh it was. It was truly astounding, and and then, uh, you know, midnight comes around on was August thirty first. I was I was here 
with very close people and uh we just watched the first two episodes um we had to work the next day but it was oh yeah my my heart was pounding the whole time and what i what i took from that moment it was the moment it started and i saw it and i saw it all together that uh, i'll certainly say is like we we truly pulled off something amazing with puppets but louis was right the whole time his vision he stayed true to his vision i think um through this whole thing he knew what he wanted to do and you know through all of the hard grind that happened i mean that man was on behind a camera every day but he pushed for something that he had in his head and it worked i mean we we had no idea if certain things would work for with puppets and what he was trying to pull off but it did it looks beautiful he broke that wall that barrier of what you know filming puppets should look like and it's amazing and then so yeah that's what i sort of we celebrated the fact that that um he stayed true to his vision I feel, you know, as the frouds, we stayed true to, to ourselves and, and our aesthetic and what we loved um, and what we feel is right um, and real for characters. And that, um, you know, that Henson's and, and Netflix stayed true to, to the whole thing, you know, that Henson stayed true to the heart and Netflix stayed true to us, you know, and, and really they celebrated and cherished us through the whole process. Um, as this amazing team and i think it shows that's the beauty of it on screen it, everything that was involved all of it that was involved with it is on screen and shows um and i don't know if that's always the case with a project i i truly can say that i so yeah that's what i'm, I'm most proud of when i see all that and there was ah oh, yeah and then i had to shut off as i it was amazing to see everyone's reactions, and I'm so glad that it was a good one. Yeah, fans can be brutal sometimes, but uh, I think that's one great thing about uh, the Dark Crystal fandom is to see the series embraced by 99.9% .9 of the fandom, hardcore fandom, saying they brought it back, it's true to the original, it's amazing, a lot of people saying it's better than the original. I mean, that doesn't happen in any universe. No. Um, <laughs> um, and it, it happened 10 times with the 10 episodes that you guys had. So um, actually, final question for me. Do you have a favorite set or a favorite um, part of the of the series that you maybe enjoyed working on or you thought it was beautiful? Well, or I'll certainly say I loved um, I, I loved creating the puppet show that. Oh yes. Do that, and that was amazing. Um, Louis was, uh, yeah, was amazing with me to uh, let me, you know, create those little puppets and work with Jeff and and Javier, you know, to really, you know, make this a little puppet show within a puppet show. It was a brilliant idea. I thought it was so much um, and ridiculous. Uh, and so <laughs> it was. It that was really fun um, and an honor to be able to try do that. Um, but the, uh, uh so much, so many yeah. things. Um, I know, I think, you know, I love episode seven, yes, but I think my favorite episode is probably episode four because it, it has so many different elements in it. And mm. the, you know, a glorious as a moment is seeing Gelfling feet pressed against the the, the earth. Uh, that makes it all the more believable in mm. my mind. Um, 
the endless forest was always a fun set because it was ever changing <laughs> and ever because it was a, basically a whole bunch of rostrum blocks and trees that you could move around in different ways and and it became a different part of the forest um very smart very very smart set building um was done there uh but yeah i it, between the scientist lab and the crystal chamber um i think i think they were the they were the most memorable and and you know within within you know within holding the idea of dark crystal you know and seeing that crystal for the first time mm-hmm. beautiful mm-hmm. absolutely yeah absolutely yeah i mean the show really revolutionized you know with, with puppets and i mean i'm just looking forward to what the future brings you know whether whether we will get another season of the show or you know other puppet productions that you know the things that were done like in age of resistance i mean especially with um yeah you know with the way you know louis you know moving the camera you know whereas most traditional puppets are very just you know steel and whatnot and you're just working with the you know with the border or with the edges and all that kind of stuff but really you know that show really took it took took puppetry to a whole new level yeah i think i think this is a it's a great time i'm really curious to see what happens it's a great time to to you know explore the idea of puppet or puppet amalgamations you know of between digital and real and and different elements because that was the you know dneg did an amazing job enhancing those puppets that was uh, it was stunning to see you know deep link for the first time and things like that it was wow that was it's, it's revolutionary i think and it just helps uh you know you get a real performance from something you feel is real in front of you and yet you know you it, it's so much more i think absolutely yeah well uh Unless you have anything else, thank you so much for coming on, Toby. Uh, it's been an honor, really. Um, just, of course, following your the, uh, the work of your family and the Hensons since I was like nine years old and uh, watching the show be announced and then come out and then experiencing it uh, the way that we did specifically yeah. has been really uh, one of the best things in my life. So thank you again so much. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you. Yeah, and it's an honor. To, it's, it's a pleasure and an honor to uh, to sit and chat with you guys because you guys are fantastic. And and you know, sort of with the, all of the the groups uh, that are loving Dark Crystal. Um, you know, hearing you guys sort of talk and and I don't know, pontificate about the ideas behind these things is wonderful. I love it. I love it. It's really cool. So thank you. Uh, thanks, Toby. Yeah, I mean, we we just always have a blast like talking Dark Crystal. You know, no matter what, whether we're in groups or, you know, with the podcast in many different ways and even through social media, it's always, it's always fun, it, you know, chatting Dark Crystal. And so, yeah, again, Toby, like, I, yeah, thank you for taking your time for, for being on the show and yeah, and congratulations, uh, yeah, with the VAS award and, um, and just for everything you've done for Dark Crystal. So just excited to see what the future brings. Trial by Stone, the Dark Crystal Podcast, is a production of Three Point Edit. If you'd like to get in contact with the show, you can do so at darkcrystalpodcast at gmail.com. You can also like us on Facebook, follow on Twitter and Instagram, and subscribe on YouTube. If you'd like to know more about the podcast, visit our website at www.darkcrystalpodcast.com. Thank you so much and stay tuned for the next episode of Trial by Stone.